Well, if you have a Bible with you this morning, I want to encourage you to turn with me to Romans chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry about it. The words will be on the screen as we look at God's Word this morning. You know, for those who are truly seeking, Easter answers a lot of questions. For instance, Easter answers the question, is there a God? And the answer is yes. If Jesus did defeat death, if Jesus was resurrected from the grave, then there is a God because no one else can hold the power of life and death other than God. And so Easter shouts out, there is a God. Easter answers the question, who is Jesus? And if Easter is true, then it reveals to us that Jesus is God in the flesh. If Easter is not true, then then Jesus was a con man. Jesus was a crazy man. But if Easter is true, then it validates everything Jesus said. It validates everything Jesus did. And it shows us that Jesus is God in the flesh. Easter reveals to us the question of, is there life after death? And, And the answer is, yes, there is life after death. Because Jesus died, Jesus was buried... And he rose from the dead. And the Bible says that he is the first fruits of all those who believe. And so not only will Jesus live forever, but the Bible tells us that each and every one of us will live forever as well. But I believe probably the most important question that Jesus or that Easter answers is this. Is there eternal life? Can I live forever with God? Can I go to heaven when I die? Now, the truth is, if you ask a number of people that question, you're going to get a number of different answers. Because a lot of people have different ideas about about how we make it to heaven, how we can live forever with God. But, listen, if Easter is true, then it reveals to us that there is only one way to eternal life, and his name is Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that nothing else, nothing else should be more important to us this morning than making sure that we have eternal life, making sure that that we have a home in heaven. Wealth is not more important. Fame is not more important. Pleasure or happiness is not more important. Your relationships are not more important. Because each and every one of those things are temporal. They're temporary. One day, they will disappear. But the Bible says that you will remain forever. You are going to live forever somewhere. The only question is where. And you need to make sure that you're going to spend eternity with Jesus in heaven. Now, I believe there is no better passage in the entire Word of God than Romans chapter 10 to answer the question of, how can I know that I have eternal life? In Romans chapter 10, Paul, in the first 13 verses, reveals to us four timeless truths. And as Paul reveals these timeless truths to us, He tells us very clearly how we can have eternal life. I want to share these four timeless truths with you. And I believe with all my heart, I believe with every ounce of my being, that God can use these truths to change your life this morning. 
Here's the first truth that Paul addresses. And it's the truth of the problem that keeps us from eternal life. What is it that keeps us from experiencing eternal life? I want you to listen to what Paul said beginning in verse 1. He said, dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it is misdirected zeal. For they don't understand God's way of making people right with him. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. Now as Paul begins this chapter, I want you to notice who he is writing about. He is not writing about those who have rejected God totally and now they're living in rebellion against him. That's not who he's writing about. And he's not writing about those who are ignorant of God, who don't know the truths about God. He's not writing to them. He is writing to the Jews. He is writing to God's chosen people. And in verse 2, he tells us that they were enthusiastic for God. In some translations, it, it uses the word zealous. It uses the word zeal. The Greek word that, that is translated there literally means hot. In other words, the Jews were hot. They were on fire. They were passionate for God. The problem was their passion was misdirected. In their desire to please God, they had missed him altogether. And because of that, they were lost. They were on their way to hell. And now Paul was burdened for their salvation. Verse 1 tells us this. It says, the longing of Paul's heart is that they would be saved. He tells us that he is regularly praying that they would be saved. In chapter 9, Paul even gets more specific about his burden. Listen to what he says. He says, my heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I would be willing to be cursed forever, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. And don't miss what Paul was saying. Paul was saying that he is so overwhelmed with grief for the Jews, his brothers and sisters that don't know Christ, that he would willingly give up his home in heaven. He would go to hell if that could save them. I want you to listen to me very clearly right now. Every person on planet earth is either lost and needs to be saved, or they are saved and they have a burden for the lost. Let me say that again. Every person on planet earth is either lost and they need to be saved, or they're saved and they're burdened for those who are lost. There is no way there is absolutely no way that you could experience the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God in your life and yet not have a burden for those who have never experienced that grace, who have never experienced that mercy. And so Paul is burdened for them. He says they're religious, but they're going to hell. Now you're probably asking why. I mean, if they were zealous, if they were passionate, if they were on fire, if they were enthusiastic about God and serving God, how could they be lost? Well, here's why. You see, they believed that they could be made right with God by their own efforts. 
If they dotted all of their I's, if they crossed all of their T's, if they checked the right boxes, then they would make it into heaven. They believed that if they were going to go to heaven, it was up to them. If they did enough good, that their good outweighed their bad. If they followed the law enough, then they could go to heaven. And that's our problem today. You see, the problem most of us have in America when it comes to God is not ignorance. It's not that we don't know about God. It's not that we don't know about Jesus. Probably everyone in this room knows the Bible story. It's not that we're living in rebellion. It's not that we've heard and we've rejected and said, I don't want God. The problem with most of us here who have never experienced the grace of God is we're living in self-righteousness. We believe that somehow, someway, our goodness is going to get us to heaven. I want you to imagine a dear old lady. This dear old lady has faithfully attended church all of her life. She helps out in the nursery and the children's ministry. When they have meals at church, she works in the kitchen. She volunteers with the women's ministry. Every time the doors are open, she's there. Everyone that knows this woman says, she's one of the sweetest, she's one of the most precious ladies you've ever met. And she's married, she's married to a mean old cuss. This guy's he, he's just, he's just awful. He would rather be in the local bar than go to church. He says that the church is full of hypocrites and do-gooders, and he doesn't want to spend time with them. He'd rather be at the bar hearing stories about fishing and hunting or, or the guy's latest flings. He would rather be there than at, at church. He would rather his wife not go to church, but it gives him an excuse to go fishing on Sunday. And so he never goes, even though she goes. One day... This man gets sick. He hasn't gone to the doctor. He's like most of us. He's it's too much of a man to go to the doctor. But, but eventually he's so sick that he has to go to the doctor. And when he goes to the doctor, the doctor diagnoses him with cancer. He says, if you would have come to me a little earlier, a couple of years earlier, I may have been able to help you. But because you didn't, there's nothing I can do. You, you've got at most several months to live man goes down very fast they call in hospice and and one of the hospice nurses is a sweet godly christian lady and she begins to talk to this old man about jesus and and about salvation and about how he could go to heaven and and he's desperate he's willing to listen And he begins to tell her, she begins to tell him about about how he needs to repent of his sins and how he needs to trust Jesus. And and she gives him a Bible and tells him to read the Gospel of John. And because he's on his deathbed, he devours the Gospel of John. And as he's reading this book, he he begins to discover who Jesus is and, and how much Jesus loves us and what Jesus did for us. And there in that hospice bed, He humbles himself before God. And he gives his heart and life to Jesus. Several days later, he dies. He goes to heaven. Now his wife, she was a good church-going woman. If you would have asked her 
why are you going to go to heaven when you die? She would have been shocked. She would have been amazed that you would even be asking her that kind of question. I mean, I go to church every Sunday. I volunteer. I help out. I'm good to people. I even put up with an ornery husband for years and years and years. If anyone deserves to go to heaven, I deserve to go to heaven. Several years after her husband dies, she dies. But she doesn't go to heaven. She goes to hell. And her story is like the story of many people in America and many people who come to church Sunday after Sunday in America today. People who believe that somehow, some way, my goodness is going to get me into heaven. The problem is, you're never going to make it to heaven by being good enough. When we stand before God one day, God's not going to have a set of scales beside him And on one side of the scales, he's going to put your good. And on the other side of the scales, he's going to put your bad. And and if your good outweighs your bad, then you're going to make it in. That's not how it's going to be. You see, if you're going to make it into heaven on your goodness, you have to be perfect. Here's what James said. He said, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking it all. In other words, you keep all the law and yet you mess up once, you're guilty. You deserve to go to hell. One lie, one lustful thought, one selfish act, one greedy act, one angry outburst, and you're lost. You're lost forever. One moment. That you don't love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. One moment that you're not fully, completely, totally devoted to him and you miss heaven. You see, heaven is not dependent upon our self-righteousness. The Bible makes that clear. The prophet Isaiah said it this way. He said, our best efforts are but filthy rags. The apostle Paul said, it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. The apostle Paul discovered this. For most of his life, he tried to please God by what he did. And let me tell you, Paul worked up quite an impressive resume. He gives us that resume in Philippians chapter 3. And for a Jew, let me tell you, no one could have come close to his zeal for God. Listen to what he said. He said, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. That was required. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. That put him up on a higher plane. I am a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strict obedience to the Jewish law. I have so zealously followed the law that I persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. And yet Paul was empty inside. And so Paul continued his quest to try to please God filled with emptiness and sorrow inside until one day he met Jesus. And he realized his best efforts would never be good enough 
And on a road headed to Damascus, he fell on his face before Jesus and gave his life to Jesus. I want you to listen to what Paul said in Philippians chapter 3 verse 9. He said, I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I became righteous through faith in Christ. Look at me. If you think that somehow, some way, you're going to stand before God one day, God's going to look at you and go, man, I'm glad you chose me. I mean, you're the A-team. You're an all-American. I couldn't have done this without you. If anyone deserves to be in here, it's you. If you think God's going to say that to you, oh, you're going to be surprised. Because you don't deserve heaven. I don't deserve heaven. None of us do. You see, the problem that most of us have here today, it's not that we have rebelled and said, I know about Jesus, but I don't want him. It's not that we're ignorant, that we haven't heard. It's just that somehow we believe that in spite of everything we've heard about Jesus, we're going to one day stand before God, and it's all going to be about what we've done, how good we've been, how well we've lived. Let me tell you, if that's where you're at, you're not going to heaven. The problem that keeps us from heaven. The second truth he gives us is the person that gives eternal life. Look at verse 4. In verse 4 it says, For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. You see, eternal life is not found in what we can do, but rather what Jesus has already done. Jesus did everything necessary For you and I to receive eternal life. It's not Jesus plus church membership. It's not Jesus plus baptism. It's not Jesus plus tithing. It's not Jesus plus reading your Bible. It's not Jesus plus stop cussing. It's not Jesus plus whatever you want to add in the fill in the blank. Jesus did everything that needs to be done. For you to receive eternal life. What did he do? Well, he gave up his home in heaven and came to earth. When he came to earth, he lived a perfect life. The Bible says he was tempted in every way, just like we are, yet he was without sin. None of us have done that. But because he lived a perfect life, he was able to pay the price for our sins. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. If you die apart from Jesus, you're going to have to pay for your sin. And it's through eternal death. Every person who has ever lived is going to have to pay for their sin through death apart from Jesus. But Jesus Christ came to this earth. He never sinned. And because he never sinned, he was able to pay for our sins. Jesus lived a perfect life. He died a sacrificial death. Jesus was not put on that cross by the Romans. He was not put on that cross by the Jews. It was his love that put him on that cross. 
He was nailed to that cross because he loves you with a selfless love. He loves you with a selfless love. He loves me with a selfish love. God showed his love toward us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Isaiah said it like this. He said, all we like sheep have gone astray. Every one of us have turned to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the sin of us all. Let me illustrate it like this. My right hand, this is going to be me. My left hand, this is going to be Jesus. My Bible, this is my sins, and there's a lot of them. And and when we discover that we've got sin, you know what most of us try to do? We decide, okay, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I'm going to live better. I'm going to live different. And, And so we start trying to live different than we used to live. But the problem is the sin is still there because there's nothing that we can do to shake the sin off. But when Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross, the Bible says that all of our sin was upon him. You see, Jesus took our sin off of us and placed it upon himself. And when he died on that cross, he was dying for all of our sins. But that's not all he did. Because on Easter Sunday, that first Easter Sunday, Jesus defeated death. He defeated sin. And he was resurrected from the grave. Why is that important? Because if Jesus would have stayed dead, sin would have defeated him. Death would have overwhelmed him. But it didn't. Jesus is alive. And the Bible says that he was delivered. He died for our offenses. But he was raised again to make us right with God. Let me remind you of the gospel that, that if you're a part of Northside, you've been hearing us share for the entire month of March. The, the latter part of the gospel is this in 1 Corinthians 15. Christ died for our sins according to Scripture. He was buried and he rose again on the third day according to Scripture. That's the gospel. That's what saves. That's the good news. Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again. You see, you're not saved by keeping the law. The law says, do this and you will live. Grace said it's already been done. The law says, you've got to pay what you owe. Grace says, Jesus paid the price. The law says, the wages of sin is death. Grace says, the gift of God is eternal life. The law demands holiness. Grace gives holiness. The law says, blessings come when we obey Grace says obedience comes after the blessing. You see, we're not saved by keeping the law. We're saved by faith in Jesus. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin, it left his crimson stain, but he he washed it white as snow. The problem that keeps most of us from eternal life is our self-righteousness. Our pride, we think we're good enough. The person who gives eternal life is Jesus. And he's already done everything that needs to be done for us to receive eternal life. But the third truth is this. And that is the choice we must make to receive eternal life. Look at verses 9 and 10. It says, if. Let me say that again. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord 
and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. Now notice how verse 9 begins. It begins with that little word, if. That word is a conditional particle. It implies a choice. God says, if. In light of everything you know about Jesus, in light of the fact that Jesus Christ has paid for your sins, in light of all of this, here is what you need to do to be saved. And if you do this, you will be saved. Now, some of you are saying, but Rocky, I thought you said everything that needed to be done has been done. It has. But you've got to receive it. In John 1, 12, it says, but as many as receive him, to those he gives the right to become the children of God. A gift given will never be experienced unless that gift is received. Every year in America, there are literally thousands of unclaimed prizes. People have been given these prizes, but they were never received. They are unclaimed. And salvation is unclaimed by so many. You see, just because Jesus died and paid the price so that we can go to heaven doesn't mean we're going to heaven. We've got to receive the gift. And what Paul says is this. There is both an internal and an external response that every person must make who is saved. He first of all tells us about the internal response. He tells us we must believe. Now, what does that mean? Well, it certainly means there's some things that we must believe with our head. There are some facts that we must know. But those are limited. As a matter of fact, the facts that we must know about Jesus to be saved are wrapped up in the gospel. Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again. The only thing I need to know about Jesus to be saved is I need to know that Jesus died for my sin. I need to know that he didn't stay dead. He defeated sin and death. You say, what about the virgin birth? That's important. But you don't need to know it to be saved. What about Jesus' sinless life? It's important. But you don't need to know it to be saved. What about this? All these things are important. They're great. And as you learn these things, they will cause you to fall more deeply in love with Jesus. But you don't need to know those things to be saved. All you need to know to be saved with your head is, Christ died for my sins. He was buried, and he rose again, defeating sin and death for me. That's all you need to know. But listen, Paul's not talking here about intellectual belief. Because he doesn't say believe with your head. When we believe with our head, that has to do with believing knowledge, believing facts, believing truth. Paul says we have to believe with our heart. You see, believing with our head implies knowledge. Believing with our heart implies action. Let me give you an example. 35 years ago, I I came home from college for the weekend and um, I went to church that weekend at my home church and went that that Sunday night before I was returning um, early that Monday morning to school. And I went to this student event at my home church and, and there sitting in the kitchen in the student room was this good-looking woman. Actually, she was a good-looking teenager. She is good-looking. My head knew this. My facts told me 
She's good looking. But, but my brain did not cause me to action. My heart did. My heart caused me to go up to that good looking young girl and say, hey. I could come home next weekend if you could go on a date with me. You see, it's not my head and the reality that she's a good-looking woman that caused me to go up to her, that caused me to act. It was my heart. My heart began to pitter-patter as I looked at her and I said, man, there's something special about her. I'd like to talk to her. I'd like to get to know her. And, And I went up to her. It was my heart that caused me to act. You see, it's the heart that causes us to respond in action. It's not not the knowledge about God that saves. It's our action toward God that saves us. Here's what James said. He said, you believe that there is one God? Great. The devils also believe and tremble. James said that the demons know everything we know about Jesus. I mean, they were living back then. They saw it. They saw him born. They saw him die. They saw the resurrection. They know these things are true. They believe them. They tremble at the truths. But demons aren't going to heaven. The devil isn't going to heaven. You see, it's not enough to know the facts. We've got to do something with the facts. That's why the Apostle Paul said we've got to believe with the heart. We've got to believe to the point of action. We've got to believe to the point that we're willing to act on our faith. Belief is an action word. It's not an intellectual term. So I believe with my heart. And when I believe with my heart, everything the Bible teaches me about Jesus, how much he loves me, what he did for me, who he is, that will lead me to the second thing. I will confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. I'll confess him. That's what it says I've got to do. I've got to believe with my heart. I've got to confess with my mouth. Now, have you ever heard someone say, well, I believe faith is a private matter? Have you ever heard people say that? Faith is a private matter? Where do you get that from? Not the Bible. Well, that's just what I've always heard. What you've always heard is wrong. Saving faith. Look, saving faith can't be a private matter. Jesus said this. He said, therefore, whoever confesses me before men, I will confess before my Father. But whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father. Jesus said, if you're not willing to confess me, I'm not going to confess you. Don't tell me faith is a private matter between you and God. It's not. The Bible clearly teaches that if you've experienced saving faith, That saving faith will result in confession of your faith. It just has to. And if you're here and and you say that you're a believer, you've given your life to Jesus, and yet you've never confessed him through baptism, you've never shared him with other people, then, then listen, your faith is suspect. Faith is the root that saves us, but our confession is the fruit that gives evidence of our salvation. 
We are saved by grace through faith, but it is a faith that causes us to confess. It changes our life. Now, what does it cause us to confess? Notice what, notice what Paul says. We've got to confess that, that Jesus is what? Jesus is Lord. He doesn't say we're confessing Jesus saved us. We're not confessing that. We're confessing that Jesus is our Lord. Now, this isn't some creed that we utter, Jesus is Lord, I'm going to heaven. No, this is, this is a, a way of life. That word Lord means master, it means ruler. Paul said later on, he said, one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. One day every knee will bow and confess Jesus is Lord. Who do you bow your knee to? You bow your knee to the person in control. You bow your knee to the person you're surrendered to. You bow your knee to the one who is on the throne. And when you bow your knee, what you were saying is, you are in charge. So when we confess Jesus as our Lord, what we are saying is, I am yours. Here's my life. I don't want to just be saved and go to heaven. I want to be saved and I want you to control my life. That's what it means when we confess Jesus as our Lord. And I believe with all my heart, look at me. I believe with all my heart, there may be some of you here this morning who have prayed some little piddly prayer. And you said, well, I prayed that prayer. I repeated those words. I'm going to heaven. And yet you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. And when you stand before him, He's going to say, depart from me. I don't know you. Because I've got to believe with my heart. And when I do, that will spur me to action. And what will it cause me to do? It will cause me to confess that Jesus is my Lord. I give my life to him. Have you done that? If you believe with your heart and you confess with your mouth and with your life, he is the Lord of your life. He'll save you. And that takes me to the fourth point, And that is this, the promise of eternal life. Look at verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I love that first word, everyone, whosoever, anyone. doesn't matter who you are, what you've done. If you humbly acknowledge your need and you call upon who? You call upon the, the Savior? The Savior? No, if you humbly acknowledge your need and call upon who? The Lord, you will be saved. You come to that point where you fall on your face before him and say, I need you and I'm giving my life to you. He'll hear us. He'll save us. 1 John five thirteen says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. I know I have eternal life. It's not because of anything that I've done. It's not because I deserve it. Because, because I don't. To be perfectly honest with you, if there's anyone in this room this morning that doesn't deserve eternal life, it's me. I don't deserve it. And I'm not going to go into all the reasons I don't deserve it. Just trust me, I don't deserve eternal life. But because of the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God, 
And because I have humbly fallen on my face before God, acknowledging my need, asking him to save me, surrendering my life to him, he saved me. He came into my heart. He changed me. He made me a different person than I was before. And though I still fail him and I still struggle and I still sin, the greatest wish and desire of my heart is to live for Jesus because he's living in me. And if you've been saved, then the desire of your heart is to live for him. Do you have eternal life? Do you know? I want you to bow your head. I want you to close your eyes. And there we head bowed with every eye closed. If you're here this morning and, and you know right now in your heart, you know that you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. He's never made a difference in your life. You don't know that you're going to heaven. But today you would like to do that. You'd like to know. You'd like to give your life to Jesus then I want to encourage you right here, right now to pray this prayer with me. Now remember, it's not saying the words. You could say words all day long, but if you don't mean it from the bottom of your heart, it won't do you any good. But if the cry of your heart are these words, then Jesus will hear. Pray it if you need to. Dear Jesus, I come to you this morning knowing that I'm a sinner I know that my best efforts will never get me to heaven. Please forgive me. Forgive me for all my sins. Forgive me for my self-righteousness. So sorry. I don't want to live under sin anymore. I believe you died on the cross to pay for my sins. You rose from the grave to give me victory over sin. This morning, I'm trusting you to save me. Come into my life. Take control. Fill me with your spirit. Make me new. Jesus, thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me.